I should probably let you know on the front end that today's sermon is going to be an ordinary one. Nothing flashy or spectacular about it. But that's okay. Because with the arrival of Pentecost a few weeks ago, we entered into the season that is actually called Ordinary Time. So an ordinary sermon for an ordinary time. It's normal to assume that this season of ordinary time reflects those parts of the church calendar that aren't very exciting. They aren't very, very, they aren't very special. They're just ordinary. And this impression is only reinforced by the fact that ordinary time falls outside of all our major liturgical seasons. And so we're not feasting during ordinary time, and we're not fasting during ordinary time. No, we're just counting the Sundays after our last big party. It's just ordinary. You know, this might even be how some Christians view their own faith in this present time, You know, as if we're only living our ordinary lives in these ordinary days, just biding our time. You know, God has already dramatically acted with the first coming of Jesus. He will do so again with the second coming of Jesus. But, you know, in the in-between, just do your best not to be a bad person. Go to church, say your prayers, and then for the most part, do what you can do to endure the ordinariness of life. But this is not what ordinary, not ordinary time means at all. In our context, the word ordinary comes from a Latin term that means numbered or ruled, which points to the ordered life of the church, that which rules and orders the church. And so, yes, ordinary time is our moment. It, it, it's our present time, the time in between the comings of Jesus, but it is far from ordinary It is that time when the church orders her life around this new reality that Jesus and the Spirit has already birthed upon our world, the reality known as the kingdom of God. You see, ordinary time is all about the kingdom of God, about the growth of God's kingdom, about the church bearing witness to God's kingdom. That is the focus of this season. So that during this time, you will notice that our gospel readings are all about Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God both in word and in deed. Our liturgical color is green for this reason, as it represents for us the growth of the kingdom. It is the kingdom of God that stands front and center during this, the longest liturgical season of the year. And that is far from ordinary. But of course, this does raise a question. (laughs) What is the kingdom of God? Now, as I'm sure you're quite aware, it's one of those Christian phrases that along with a few others are tossed around so much that they, they tend to take on a life of their own. You know, like the word gospel or the word salvation. I mean, we assume we know what these words and phrases mean because they're used left and right and by this person and that. But I guarantee you, If we were to take a survey, if we were to ask every single person in this room to give a definition of these Christian words and phrases, we would be shocked by how diverse our answers would be. They'd be all over the map. Which means that if we're going to truly order our lives around the kingdom of God, then we're going to need to do first a little deconstruction 
before we reconstruct the true meaning of this phrase. This is something, by the way, that Jesus had to do as well. More than any other topic, Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God. But he never does so systematically. I mean, Jesus never gives a lecture that, you know, step by step unpacks the meaning of God's kingdom. Instead, he's playful, provocative, and mysterious when speaking about the kingdom of God. And so he does things like tell parables. The kingdom of God is as if a man were to scatter seed on the land, and then he tells a story. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, and then he unpacks that a bit. Sometimes Jesus would even perform some dramatic action and then turn and tell the crowds, the kingdom of God has just now come upon you. You see, Jesus was always working to deconstruct and then reconstruct people's understanding of what the kingdom of God was really like. Because just like in our time, back in Jesus' time, people had many different and really unhealthy ideas about what the kingdom of God was actually like. The most popular view being a Jewish militaristic state that would squash and subdue anyone that would threaten them particularly their current overlord, the Roman Empire. Now, of course, today we would judge any such vision of the kingdom as woefully inadequate, much too narrow, much too geopolitical and of this world. Of course, the church today has only swung the pendulum to the other extreme, haven't we? As most Christians, I would imagine, assume the kingdom of God is equivalent with heaven, a place not of this world. Or that the kingdom of God means only, you know, this, uh, is only dealing with the spiritual realities in the hearts and minds of men and women. But such a vision also falls woefully short of what the kingdom of God is all about. You see, the kingdom of God is neither a purely earthly reality, nor is it a purely heavenly reality. Instead, the kingdom of God is nothing less than the joining of these two realities, the coming together of heaven and earth. That's actually what the story of the whole Bible is all about. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth so that they were what? They were joined together. God's home and our home were one and the same reality. It was a very spiritual place. It was a very earthly place. But, as we are painfully reminded of each day, whether we look outside into our world or inside into our own hearts, we humans love to take matters into our own hands. And by doing so, heaven and earth rip apart time and time again. So that always rushing in to fill that that gap comes pain and loss, death and destruction, violence and exclusion. The story of the Bible, then, is the story of God breaching this gap, reclaiming his heaven and earth world. It is the story of God working to reunite heaven and earth once again. You know, that's also what the temple in the Old Testament was all about. The temple was that place where heaven and earth intersected God making his heavenly dwelling on earthly soil. 
so that the temple in the Old Testament became a sort of signpost pointing to God's ultimate intention for all of his creation, the marriage of heaven and earth. You could also call that new creation. But of course, the way that God goes about putting heaven and earth back together runs contrary to our every impulse. It runs contrary to our own expectations. Because heaven and earth don't come together by force and manipulation, like we might think. And neither do they come together through vengeance or military power. No, they come together rather through self-sacrifice and unconditional love, through commitments to nonviolence and the embrace of the other. It's a way that, you know, left to our own devices, no man or woman could ever, ever put into practice. Which is why God became flesh and dwelt among us. It is why God took up residence among us in the person of Jesus to show us the way to bring heaven and earth back together again. Indeed, really, to be the way that brings heaven and earth back together. So Jesus, you know, he shows up on the scene. The very first words that come out of his his mouth are, the kingdom of God is here. Turn from your ways, follow my way instead. And then a little bit later, he says, you know what? Stop, stop worrying about your life. You know, where you're going to live, where you're going to work. Stop worrying about your possessions and your own security. Instead, no, no, no. Seek first the kingdom of God, right? And you do so by following me, doing it my way. And then get this. Jesus forms a community called what? The way right? That's what the church was called, the way of people who ordered themselves around this kingdom of God, a people who are empowered by the Spirit to walk in the way of Jesus, the only way that brings heaven and earth back together again, the Jesus way. So that, and and I hope you can see the connection here, there is a direct correlation between the kingdom of God and the people of God, the church. For it is in the church where the kingdom of God takes root. It is in the church where heaven and earth come rushing together. It is the church who is called to bear witness to this kingdom reality that is both here and on its way. This is why the Apostle Paul can say in Ephesians that God has made known to us his plan for the fullness of time. In other words, where everything is going, where history is headed. And this is God's plan, God sa- uh, Paul says, to gather up all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. And it's a plan that comes to fruition only in the church, right? In fact, Paul goes on to describe the church in Ephesians as that people who join themselves together in order to grow into a, a holy temple. We are now that place where heaven and earth intersect. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians in our passage today, we are new creation. We are that place where the kingdom of God takes root. My friends, there is nothing ordinary about this. And this is to be our ultimate focus during these ordinary days. But we do need a lot of help, don't we? I mean, we, we need a lot of uh, time for deconstruction, 
followed by reconstruction. We need, in fact, a lot of instruction on how to be the leading edge of God's kingdom project on earth, on how to be God's heaven and earth place or people for the healing of the world. And so I guarantee you throughout ordinary season, you will have many, many opportunities to learn a number of kingdom lessons for living during this season. But one of the first and probably most important lessons we receive is the lesson given to us in our gospel reading for today from Mark chapter 4. The kingdom of God is, you know, as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day over and over, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how, the text says. Lesson number one, the work of the kingdom is to invest yourself in a craft in which you are not in control. A craft in which you really do not understand, right? Because God is always the agent of growth in the kingdom. That growth does not rest in our hands. It rests in his. But we can rest assured growth will occur as surely as harvest comes. Some of you know that I love to grow jalapenos. Lots and lots of jalapenos. I love me some jalapenos. I love saying jalapenos. (laughs) Every summer, that's what I do. I plant my garden of jalapenos. Nothing else, right? Nothing else. Just jalapenos. (laughs) I mean, for real. (laughs) And then every couple of weeks, I'll go back and I'll pick really maybe 100 or 200 at a time. And then I I slice them up. I cook them in a brine. And then I can them for future eating pleasure. We got tons of cans. Now, trust me, in this whole process, I don't really know what I'm doing. You know? It all begins with me throwing out some seed on the ground. Then there's this formula that we're all familiar with, a little water, a little sunlight, plus some time. And then you look, and a miracle occurs. Plants, they they come out of the ground. And then fruit comes out of the plants each and every year without fail. It's amazing. That's how it is with the kingdom of God. Yeah, we go about our ordinary lives, our jobs, our washing the dishes, our dropping the kids off at basketball camp, helping a friend move, paying the bills, chatting with our neighbors. But then, whatever kingdom seed is thrown out during the the midst of our, in the midst of our mundane stuff, we get to witness something extraordinary. A miracle of growth as inevitable as my jalapeno seeds growing and producing its fruit each and every summer, Right? The first lesson of the kingdom, then, should put us all at ease because it's an optimistic, optimistic lesson that despite appearances, the kingdom of God will come. Despite the ordinariness of life, the kingdom of God will come. Despite that the world goes not well, the kingdom of God will still come. We can be confident That what was begun with Jesus will lead to the full future embrace of heaven and earth. It reminds me of those dramatic words that Jesus Jesus declared to Peter that day in Caesarea Philippi. There's there's a similarity here. When Jesus says to Peter, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The kingdom of God, God's kingdom is here and it is 
coming. And so claims about the presence of the, of the kingdom right now are no more compelling today as they were during the time of Jesus, probably even less so. But rest assured, while we go about our daily routines, while we go about living our ordinary lives in this ordinary time, the kingdom of God is taking root. The kingdom of God is coming. Heaven and earth are being summed up in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so let us delight and rest in that mysterious and wonderful promise. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are merging and bringing together heaven and earth once again, and you are starting this new work, this work of new creation in the body of your Son, Jesus, the church, that we get to be a foretaste of that reality as we live our spiritual lives in this earthly soil, and as we seek to bring about your will and the reign of Christ in our midst, in our families, in this community. So empower us by your spirit to continue in that uh, great grand pursuit and encourage us when there doesn't seem to be any signs of life. Help us to know that the work of the kingdom is mysterious and the growth of the kingdom is in your hands. And so encourage us with that lesson, we pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.